The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come into your presence this morning, may we surprise you with the boldness of our faith as this woman surprised you in her own day. And would you heal us, restore us, and draw us to you in love. We pray this for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Please be seated. We're in the middle of a series of sermons called Sinners, Scoundrels, and Saints. I know that's an unusual name for a sermon series. And it has elicited some delightful alternative titles from some of you. My favorite so far has been Sinners, Scallywags, and Scumbags. <laughs> I really wish I had thought of that one myself. So it's an odd name for a sermon series, but it's entirely appropriate to the cast of characters that Jesus comes into contact with in the passages that we are considering from Roman centurions to corrupt tax collectors. Well, this morning in our reading from Matthew, Jesus encounters one such person, an ancient enemy of Israel, a Canaanite. But to our dismay, it is Jesus who comes across as a bit of a scoundrel in this awkward confrontation. What are we to make of this story? Jesus appears to be uncaring, at best, racist at worst. It's as if he was having a bad day and this woman caught him in a moment of weakness in which he lashed out irritably. Now for a normal human being, that would make perfect sense. It happens to the best of us. But this is Jesus we're talking about. He gets angry at the Pharisees, but he doesn't lash out at distraught mothers. He doesn't speak harshly to those who come in humility looking for healing. What's going on? Well, what I hope you will see this morning is that Jesus is doing something deeper and far subtler than we first realize in this scene. He is destroying prejudice by at first appearing to affirm it. And he's giving his disciples a powerful object lesson in showing mercy. Now to see how he does this, we need to consider the context of this story within Matthew's gospel. We need then to pay special attention to the, to the location of this particular encounter. And finally, we need to walk carefully through the subtle dynamics of his conversation. 
And we're going to do these three things in that order. So first, the context. You're going to want to turn with me to Matthew 15 on page 821 so that you can follow along. So Matthew 15, page 821. Jesus has been ministering faithfully in Galilee for quite some time. He's been teaching, healing, performing miracles. In chapter 14, he feeds 5,000 people and then later that night walks on water before healing the sick the following day. It's an incredible demonstration of his power. But then in the first half of chapter 15, he gets drawn into a fight. The Pharisees come to tell him off because his disciples don't wash their hands the right way. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So Jesus Jesus just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And the Pharisees call foul over unwashed hands. Well, Jesus has had enough of their hypocrisy. So he strikes back and he says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And he says, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Jesus is disgusted and understandably so. These are his people. These are God's people. And all they can manage in response to their Messiah is nitpicking over hand washing. Well, it's in this context that Jesus takes his disciples on a trip. And this is where the location becomes very important. Verse 21 tells us, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Mark tells this same story in his gospel. And he adds that when Jesus and the disciples arrived at the home where they were staying, that he did not want anyone to know where he was. When you combine these two accounts, it seems clear that Jesus was seeking solitude, trying to get away from the chaos and confrontation of Galilee to spend time with his disciples. But if that's the case, if that's the case, he didn't have to go all the way to Tyre and to Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are as far north and as far distant from Jerusalem as Jesus gets during his entire ministry. These were wealthy coastal city-states on the northern edge of the land of Israel, and they had been home to Israel's enemies for ages. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Amos all proclaimed God's judgment on them. So this was enemy territory, godless and corrupt. By taking the disciples into this region, Jesus seems to be making a statement. But what kind and why? He had, in fact, already mentioned Tyre and Sidon in his preaching and teaching. And this gives us a clue as to the kind of statement he might have been making. Back in Matthew 11, while teaching among the villages of Galilee, Jesus chastised God's people for their unbelief. And he said this, he said, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. The trip to Tyre and Sidon appears not only to be a retreat for Jesus and the disciples, 
it is also quite clearly an act of condemnation on the people of Galilee. Having been rejected by his own people, Jesus now goes to stay among their enemies. Perhaps he'll get a better reception there. Well, sometime after getting settled, a woman turns up. She's a Canaanite, a local, one of Israel's enemies. Somehow she knows who Jesus is, and she's found where he's hiding. And as she appears at the door, she cries out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly. Now, have mercy on me was the traditional cry of a beggar. And with it, the woman identifies herself and the reason for her approach. She also identifies Jesus in a way that must have shocked the disciples. Lord, son of David. Now, the phrase son of David was a royal title used by the Jews to refer to their long-awaited Messiah, the one who would save them, assume the throne of David, and reign over Israel. This was not the sort of thing a Canaanite woman should have known, but this one does. Nor was it the sort of thing she would have wanted. But when she calls Jesus Lord and Son of David, not only does she recognize him as the rightful king of Israel, she claims him as her own. Where the Jews of Galilee got it all wrong, a Canaanite woman gets it right. But that's just the beginning because her reception is anything but warm. In Jesus' day, it was unacceptable for a rabbi to speak to women in public, even members of his own family. There was a pervasive sexism within the culture summed up rather succinctly in the apocryphal book of wisdom written roughly 200 years before Jesus. It says that a man's spite is preferable to a woman's kindness. Women give rise to shame and reproach. So not only is this a woman, she's a Canaanite. And there's great disdain between the two peoples, as you might imagine. To even consider acting, to even consider interacting with a Canaanite woman was beyond the realm of possibility for a Jewish rabbi like Jesus. And yet, this woman approaches with the belief that these barriers between them can come down. She knows his reputation. She's heard of his kindness. So she approaches him boldly. And she's greeted with silence. She's neither dismissed nor welcomed. We don't know what Jesus' body language communicated. We don't know if he caught her eye or stared at the floor. We know only that he sat in silence until the frustration and prejudice of his disciples boiled over. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us, they begged Jesus. The disciples' response, it is culturally appropriate and to be expected. This was a foreign woman. It was an easy no. They saw only the barriers between them. And they were tired of being surrounded by outspoken, needy people. But Jesus doesn't dismiss her. Having allowed a few tense moments to play out, Jesus finally speaks. And he seems to address both the woman and his disciples. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, he says. Oh, it sounds harsh, cold, and clear as day. The disciples' prejudice appears to be affirmed. 
Jesus has spoken, if not directly to the woman, certainly within her hearing. But he hasn't dismissed her as the disciples requested. Instead, he's laid out a statement for comment. Admittedly, Jesus' words are far from welcoming. It's not hard to imagine the disciples nodding in self-righteous approval. Yeah, Jesus. But Jesus had opened the door. He's opened the door and the woman responds with persistence, coming into the room, taking a step closer, dropping to her knees in an overt act of submission. She calls him Lord and she says, help me. As readers of the gospel, we are cheering for her. The door is cracked open and we want her to walk through And that is when Jesus stuns us with his response. He replies to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, what in the world is Jesus doing? In his time, dogs were not well-loved pets. They were used to guard property or left to run wild. To be called a dog was an outright insult and a racial slur. Has he broken social constraints in order to lure her in just to insult her? It seems so unlike Jesus. So what's he doing? The only option that makes any sense of the passage is that he was testing this woman and his disciples. So Jesus' words gave voice to the prejudice of his disciples already displayed in their request to turn the woman away. By speaking what they were thinking, he drew them into the conversation, and he put their prejudice to the test to see if it would hold. He was also testing the woman to see how she would respond. And she came right back at Jesus, and she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. Now, her reply is brilliant. Even more so when you see what she's doing in the original language. Not only does she take Jesus' metaphor and turn it to her own advantage, she plays with Jesus' words in her response. In Greek, Jesus had literally, literally said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, for some reason, he uses a diminutive form of the word dogs, specifying little dogs. Well, the woman shoots back using the diminutive word, uh, diminutive form of the word for crumbs. So she says literally to him, yet even the little dogs eat the little crumbs from the master's table. Not only has she argued with Jesus, she has bested him rhetorically. The disciples are shocked. Jesus is delighted. His words to her, however, they still echo in the background. They're disturbing and they're offensive to us. So what are we to make of them? I want you to remember that Jesus was alone with his disciples. They were gathered around him and he was probably teaching or asking them questions. 
We know from the Gospels that Jesus is not particularly easy on these men. He challenges them, questions them, and regularly pushes them out of their comfort zone. He goes so far as to call Peter Satan at one point, which is not exactly complimentary. An uninvited guest has intruded on this tight circle. Instead of dismissing her, Jesus invites her into the fellowship by treating her like a disciple. He speaks bluntly to her. He challenges her. He engages her like a rabbi engaging a pupil. I spent a long time in graduate school, a very long time, where I participated in a number of seminars, small gatherings where students and professors shared a table in conversation. In those settings, there were no holds barred. Sometimes fierce debate erupted around the table. Strong opinions would be expressed, attacked, and defended. It was exhilarating, and it was extremely intimidating. It was the place where ideas were tested and students were taught to use and stretch their minds in new ways. Now, as a student at these gatherings, the greatest compliment one could receive was to be engaged in argument by a senior professor. It meant that the professor thought your ideas were important enough to consider and to critique. In general, it was the best and brightest students who sparked the most vibrant debate. It was an honor to be attacked with an intellectual offensive by a superior. It was awful to be ignored. Something similar, I think, is happening when Jesus allows this pagan woman into the circle of his disciples. She has crossed a line and disturbed a fellowship. But instead of sending her away as the disciples request, Jesus invites her into dialogue. He treats her like one of the disciples. It is a tense and powerful moment. Well, after her brilliant response to his shocking statement, Jesus exclaims, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. The, the phrase in Greek is actually, oh, woman. And it's an exclamation that communicates intense feeling. Did he break into a grin for the first time in days? Did he laugh with delight at the boldness of her faith? Well, we don't know, but it is not difficult to imagine. He has put her to the test and in response, she has leapfrogged the disciples. So Jesus marvels at her, delighting at her extraordinary faith. Now, this is a gripping story. It's filled with tension. It's fraught with conflict. But we've had to spend a lot of time simply trying to understand it. Scripture is like that sometimes. It is not always straightforward nor easy to understand. It takes work to reach across several millennia into strange historical contexts to understand the subtleties of what's being said. But God's word rewards our labors. A passage like this is a good reminder that when scripture doesn't make sense, we need to dig deeper, ask more questions, search for answers. It will not do simply to rush past those parts that are difficult because it is so often in the strange and difficult portions of Scripture that God speaks most profoundly. So what do we take away from this awkward confrontation? Well, first, 
a word to those who are already followers of Jesus, then a word for those who, like this woman, have come to him in need. When this woman came begging for Jesus' help, all that the disciples could see was a nuisance and an enemy. They just wanted her to go away. But in a strange and shocking manner, Jesus treats her like a disciple. And he gives her dignity, showing her grace by healing her daughter. We hate being inconvenienced. We live our lives along tight schedules with unrealistic expectations about our ability to get things done. We don't have room for unexpected interruptions. We don't have time. But that is usually how the needs of others present themselves, as unexpected and inconvenient interruptions to our highly ordered lives. Don't miss these opportunities. There's nothing convenient about being one of Jesus' disciples. We, we stand at the door of the house of God as those who have been called to welcome those in need, not keep them out. Now, we all have enemies. We all have enemies, some, some of them longstanding. And the church has enemies as well. We must not be naive about those who stand against the gospel and seek the destruction or displacement of the church. We must be wise as serpents, but we must also be as innocent as doves. The primary identity of every human being is child of God, made in the image of God, loved by God, capable of a relationship with God. The disciples couldn't see this. The Canaanite woman was just an enemy and an inconvenience. So they ignored her suffering. They discounted her faith. They put up a barrier between her and Jesus. If someone else's suffering leaves you unmoved, or if compassion has been replaced by contempt in your heart, then beg the Lord to soften your heart. If you see people only as enemies, you will never learn to see them as objects of God's love. It is terrifyingly easy to move from being a disciple to acting like a Pharisee. One of the things that we're told about Jesus throughout the Gospels is that he was regularly moved with compassion. The traditional enemies of God's people, the Canaanites and the Romans, he saw as creatures of God, lost, lonely, suffering. And he loved them to the point of his own suffering. This is our vocation as well. So pray for compassion. Expect to be inconvenienced. And then experience the joy of seeing enemies turned into friends because God's grace knows no bounds. And this, this is the word for those who come to Jesus in need. God's grace has no bounds. It's a truth that we will hear every single week of this sermon series. No one stands outside the grace of God in Jesus Christ. There is no sinner, scoundrel, outcast, scallywag, scumbag, or enemy that Jesus turns away when they seek him in truth and humility.
Now you may feel, you may feel like an enemy of God this morning because of what you've done or who you've hurt. You may be present physically but feel miles away morally or spiritually. What this woman has shown us though is that you can never be so far away as to stand beyond his help. You may even be an enemy of God's people. But as it happens, Jesus loves his enemies. So come to him boldly. If you're guilty of sin, seek his forgiveness. If you're overwhelmed by griefs, ask for his comfort. If your life is a mess of intractable problems, beg for his grace. And take comfort in this. Take comfort in this, you're not worthy. None of us is, but it is not your worthiness that matters. It is his grace and his kindness that breaks down every barrier between you and him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this shocking, unsettling, marvelous story for this demonstration of affection, for the incredible faith of this woman. May we be bold like she and receive the outpouring of your affection. And would you protect us, your disciples, from becoming like Pharisees. We pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen.